0: Well, good morning, New Day. So good to see you guys. Thanks so much for coming out. A big thank you to everyone who's tuned in online, however you're joining us today. I'm so glad that you're here. For those of you who are new right now as a church, we're studying through the gospel of Matthew. We've been taking it one section at a time, and that's brought us to the section that we're covering today, which is Matthew chapter 19, verses 10 to 12 where our Lord teaches us on the topic of the gift of singleness. In the late 1800s, there was a group of single people who got together for the ladies' home journal and wrote poems expressing their distress. Here's one from a gentleman. He writes, Of all the girls I ever knew, I never saw one I thought would do. I wanted a wife that was nice and neat, that was up to date and had small feet. I wanted a wife that was loving and kind and that hadn't too much an independent mind. I wanted a wife that could cook and sew and wasn't eternally on the go. I wanted a wife that was strikingly beautiful, intelligent, rich, and exceedingly dutiful. This isn't so much to demand in a wife, but she's still not found, though I've looked all my life and then one from a young lady. She wrote this, "'The only reason why I've never wed "'is as clear as the day and as easily said. Two loves I've had who'd have made me a bride, "'but the trouble was I couldn't decide. "'Whenever John came, I was sure it was he "'that I cared for the most. But with Charlie by me, my hands clasped in his and his eyes fixed on mine, t'was as easy as could be to say, I'll be thine. Now tell me, what was a poor maiden to do who couldn't to save her, make choice between the two? I dillied and dallied and couldn't decide till Johnny got married and Charlie, he died. (laughs) Now as funny as these poems are, Those of us who are not single often make the mistake of assuming that when someone is single, it's for one of the two reasons highlighted in these two poems. Oh, they were too picky. That's why they're single. Oh, they dillied and dallied and now all the options have gone away. Oh, that must have been their fault. But these are not the only reasons why people are single. Some are single simply because they haven't met the right person yet. Others are single because uh, of a breakup or maybe because of a divorce. Some are single because they have same-sex attraction and they're choosing celibacy in order to honor the Lord, which is commendable. Others are single because sadly their spouse has passed away. And as we'll see in our text today, others are single because God's plan for them is to be single so that with singular focus, they can dedicate their lives to the Lord and to his service. So let's get into it. Matthew chapter 19 verses 10 to 12. We're going to see three things in our text today. Uh, Number one, the sarcastic conclusion. Number two, the surprising caveat. And number three, the several causes. And we're going to go through these one at a time beginning with the sarcastic conclusion. The sarcastic conclusion. The context is this. Jesus has just been asked what he believes about divorce. And Jesus says that a man can only get a divorce for a serious offense, not for any and every reason. And frankly, candidly, the disciples don't really like this response. I mean, they grew up hearing the rabbis teach A bad wife is like leprosy to her husband. What is the remedy? Let him divorce her and be cured of his leprosy. It was even laid down by the rabbis that if a man has a bad wife, it is a religious duty for him to divorce her. And it seems that Jesus' disciples liked this more liberal view that gave them a whole lot more flexibility to get out uh, if things were going bad in their marriage. So when Jesus shares that he's in the camp that's a little more conservative, he's in the camp that only allows divorce for a very serious offense, the disciples feel this is too restricting. They want out for any and every reason. So in response to Jesus saying that a man can only divorce his wife for a very serious offense, they sarcastically conclude, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. In other words, if he can't divorce her whenever he wants, and he can't divorce her for any reason that he wants, and if he might find himself being stuck in a marriage that he can't escape from, then man, it's just better to stay single. And whoever said this, likely Peter, because he was the one always doing this, whoever said this, it got all the other disciples laughing. Okay? This was said sarcastically. And we know this because from history what we learn is that in first century Judaism, choosing the single life, it really wasn't a valid option. They understood Genesis 2:18 to teach that it was not good to be single. They understood Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 to teach that it was their religious duty to get married. And when they read Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, be fruitful and multiply, they understood that to mean it was their religious duty to bear and raise children. So again, when they say, oh, it's better not to marry. It's better to choose the single life than to get into a marriage like this that you can't escape from. We know that they were joking because to not marry was not an option for them. And this leads really nicely to the second thing that we see in our text, which we'll call the surprising caveat. So first, the sarcastic conclusion, and now secondly, the surprising caveat. To the disciples who assumed that marriage was God's plan for everyone, Jesus said this, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. Here, Jesus says, in effect, singleness isn't for everyone, but it is God's will and it is God's plan for some people. Now, when Jesus uses the words, uh, only those to whom it is given, this refers to singleness as a sort of gift. It's given to people. A grace is given by God to certain people to be single, to be content, to be happy, to be holy. The Apostle Paul specifically refers to, the, uh, to, to singleness uh, in certain instances as a gift because of the way Jesus words things here. He does this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. He calls it a gift, the gift of singleness. Now here's the deal. Marriage is the norm, meaning it's the option that the vast majority of us are going to take and are called to take. And children tend to be, typically speaking, the natural consequence of marriage. So the vast majority of us, we're going to get married, we're going to have kids, and we're going to raise them. This is what we might call the biblical norm. But with that said, Jesus here in our text in Matthew 19 points to a caveat. He points to an exception to the rule, which is when God gives someone a special grace to remain single. Now, if you haven't been given the grace to remain single, you should prayerfully uh, pursue a godly marriage, which is defined biblically as someone of the opposite gender who is also a believer. But Jesus says of the one who's been given the gift of singleness, let the one who is able to receive this, this teaching on singleness, let the one who is able to receive it, receive it. In other words, let the one who's given the gift of singleness step into it. Let him own it. Let him enjoy it without feeling compulsion to adopt the norm for most people, which is marriage. And I just don't think we will ever be able to comprehend how shocking this teaching was for Jesus' disciples to hear they're all chuckling, you know, <laughs> you know, we should just remain single. And then Jesus is like, that's a valid option. And they're all like, what? You know I mean? Like this is shocking to them. It's not what their parents taught them growing up. It's not what the rabbis taught them in the synagogue. And it's not the common view that was held in first century Jewish culture at large. Nevertheless, To the disciples' sarcastic conclusion, Jesus shares a surprising caveat. Some people are called by God to be single. And now that we've seen the sarcastic conclusion and the surprising caveat, let's thirdly and finally note the several causes. The several causes. Having let his disciples know that it's God's will for some people to be single, Jesus now lists three common causes of singleness. And as Jesus lists each of these three causes, he references something you may or may not be familiar with called a eunuch. So a little bit of explanation before we get into the causes, because if you don't know what a eunuch is and you don't know the way in which Jesus is using the word picture of the eunuch, then you really could go uh, awry here, okay? So let's make sure we understand what this is. A eunuch was a castrated male. Not having the ability to reproduce, the eunuch did not get married, So the eunuch then as used by Jesus in the context of Matthew 19 represents simply the person who remains single. It may actually refer as we'll see to someone who was castrated, but it doesn't necessarily refer to someone who was castrated. Jesus is using the eunuch, someone who remains single, as a word picture to be representative of anyone who doesn't get married and instead remains single. And now that you know that, let's look at the three common causes of singleness as laid out for us by Jesus. The first of the three causes is what we'll call defect. Defect. When Jesus points out That there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. He's simply saying that some people choose not to marry because they were born with a birth defect that would make it impossible for them to procreate. Now, please understand that Jesus here is not saying that it would be wrong to marry if you can't produce children. He's not saying that. He's simply pointing out the fact that in his time, there were some people who chose not to marry because of a birth defect that would make it impossible for them to procreate. So cause number one, defect. Now, cause number two, defeat. Defeat. When Jesus says that there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, he's referring to those who were forced into the single life by a conquering king. Understand it was common practice in antiquity for a king to defeat a country, to take the best of their citizens, uh, to castrate the males and enlist the best of the best into his service. For some of his administrators, their duties were so important that the king wanted them to give singular focus to those duties. He didn't want them distracted by family matters, such as having a wife or having children. So he would make them eunuchs so that they could give undivided attention to serving in their roles. Just as the king made some of his officials eunuchs, he also made the guardians of his harem eunuchs. A king needed someone to guard his harem. But he didn't want that person falling into temptation and impregnating uh, one of his wives, which would have produced an illegitimate heir to the throne. And so he would appoint a eunuch to serve as a guardian of the harem. You might remember the guardian Heggai from the book of Esther, who was one such eunuch. So Jesus is saying, just as some are single because of defect, others are single because of defeat because they were forced into it by a conquering king. Third cause is decision. Decision. Jesus says there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, but there are also eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Again, this is not to be taken literally We are simply taught some people have chosen the single life, is all he's saying, for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. So this refers to those who have chosen of their own volition. It wasn't because of a birth defect. It wasn't because of defeat by a conquering king. They have chosen of their own volition, uh, being enabled to do so by the grace of God, bestowing on them the gift of singleness, to abstain from marriage, remain celibate, so that they can give 100% of their attention To advancing the kingdom of heaven. About a month ago, I finished Pastor Tim Keller's biography written by Colin Hansen. And in the book, Collins shared the story of a godly woman named Barbara Boyd. Barbara never married, instead, she worked for a college campus missionary organization called Inner Varsity for 40 years. She dedicated her life to teaching college students how to study the Bible. In 1964, she led eight of these conferences. In time, eight conferences turned into 27. By 1971, 27 turned into 50. And at the high watermark of her leadership, 50 turned into 130. And of all the students that she taught, probably tens of thousands of them, one of them was a man named Timothy Keller who went on to found a large and influential church in Manhattan, who went on to found a global network committed to planting gospel-centered churches in cities around the world, who went on to author over 20 books that have sold millions of copies and have been translated into many different languages, and who went on to influence an entire generation of pastors. And it all started because someone named Barbara Boyd, who had the gift of singleness, used her singleness for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you are married and you try to lead 130 conferences a year, you will no doubt end up divorced. But not being married, this is something Barbara was able to do. And what an impact she had. And it's people like Barbara that Jesus is talking about in this third cause for singleness. He's talking about those that choose the single life as to dedicate their lives in sacrificial service for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Not to use their singleness to indulge self, rather use their singleness to advance the cause of Christ on the earth. Friends, with this, we've gone through the teaching. And so what I want to do for the rest of our time is ask and answer a number of questions uh, that are commonly asked related to this subject of the gift of singleness. So here we go. Question number one is this. Is singleness inherently more spiritual than marriage? Some of you married couples who just heard Barbara Boyd's story now feel insignificant because you're not out in the world leading 130 conferences a year teaching future Timothy Kellers how to study the Bible. But I would encourage you, do not fall into that trap. The Apostle Paul, in writing about singleness and marriage, says this, let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and which God has called him. So you know what the most spiritual role you can be in is? It's the role that the Lord has assigned you in this life. It's really interesting to me that uh, back in the day, singleness was actually held up in society as the most spiritual thing a person could do. It was held up as a spiritual ideal. And when it was popular in culture for people to choose that path, you had men and women running off to monasteries and convents. But then something in culture shifted, and culture decided, you know what, this is not the highest ideal to which one could attain. In fact, if you're single, something's wrong with you. Now, neither of these views are correct. They were wrong back in the day when they said singleness is the highest spiritual ideal, and likewise, culture is wrong today when they attach a negative stigma to someone who is single. Again, the most spiritual thing we could do is simply step into the assignment the Lord has for us. For some people, that's marriage, and for some, that's singleness. You can't say, oh, I'm married, I'm raising kids, I'm not out in the world leading conferences raising up the next Timothy Keller. Don't say that. You might be raising up the next Timothy Keller or Kathy Keller in your home by raising your children. So the most spiritual thing you can do is to focus on the task that the Lord has assigned to you, whatever that might be. All right, question number two is this, who should be single? The Bible actually speaks to this very clearly, who should be single? Jesus says this in verse 11, not everyone can receive this, only those to whom it is given. The idea is only those who have divinely been given the grace to live a godly and content life should be single. A godly and content life as a single should be single. Paul reiterates this same idea in 1 Corinthians 7, 7, saying, I I wish that all were as I myself am, meaning single. But he says, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. He's saying, oh, I wish everyone was single because then everyone like me could use their life full time to just do missionary journeys around the world and we'd bring the gospel to everyone and we'd win the world for Christ. He says, but that's probably not a good idea because everyone has their gift. And so the implication is if you don't have the gift of singleness like he did for living that kind of life, then you probably shouldn't be living that kind of life. So who should be single? Both Jesus and Paul say those gifted by God to be single. Now the Catholic church matter of factly has gotten themselves into so much trouble because they've forced every priest regardless of gifting into the single life and therefore into celibacy. This is great for those who have the gift of singleness but for the rest of the priests it's left them to burn with passion without a righteous outlet for sexual fulfillment. And tragically, we've all seen in the news what's been the result of that. So understand, this is important. As the norm, as the general rule, only those gifted by God to be single should be single. Now, our next question, question number three, is the balance to question number two. Can I choose singleness even if I don't have the gift. I think two strong biblical arguments can be made here. The first is this, it's usually not wise to choose singleness if you haven't been given the gift. And then the second argument is this, but there are exceptions biblically that are made. Let's unpackage that. As for it being unwise, Paul says this, Because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Paul's saying if you don't have the gift of singleness, you probably shouldn't choose singleness because you're very likely to unnecessarily struggle with sexual temptation your whole life because as a single person, you won't have a righteous outlet for it. So he says, hey, it's usually unwise. But even though it's usually unwise, this same Paul, in the same uh, context, says there's at least two exceptions. The first exception is this. You can choose not to marry because of intense persecution. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7.26, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is, meaning remain single. Here, Paul says, in light of the intense persecution right now against Christians throughout the Roman empire, it's probably good for some of you to choose not to marry since there's a high likelihood that you're going to be martyred for your faith and you probably don't want to leave your spouse and your kids destitute uh, when you're gone. So temporarily, if you choose to do so, it would be okay to not get married. Now, this is hardly the gift of singleness, rather a concession that's made during intense times of persecution, where temporarily you would delay that, uh, hopefully once things get better in terms of the persecution. The second exception to the rule is for an elderly widow. Paul writes this, A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. If her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but only if he loves the Lord. And in my opinion, it would be better for her to stay single. And I think I am giving you counsel from God's spirit when I say this. So here's a woman who was married, right? So clearly she doesn't have the gift of singleness, okay? But Paul says, if after her husband dies, she doesn't want to get remarried, that's okay. This assumes though that the woman is advanced in age because 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 14, Paul advises young widows to get remarried and to have kids and to manage their household. But if you're older and your spouse dies and you want to remain single, Paul says, that's okay, it's permitted. And I think the idea is not that sexual desire dies completely, uh, but one might argue it diminishes over time. And so the elderly widow uh, might not be wrestling with temptation to sexual immorality uh, for the rest of their life. They can manage uh, that singleness. And so Paul says, this would be an okay exception to the rule. So again, what Paul establishes is simple. It's normally unwise to choose singleness if you don't have the gift. But secondly, there are exceptions to the rule that are made in certain instances. Okay, question number four is this. How do I know if I have the gift of singleness? Jesus says this in verse 12. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. When those who don't have the gift think of a future where they're single and celibate, it's a terrible thought to them. They're like, dear God, I know you give gifts, but when you're handing out the gift of singleness, stay away from me. (laughs) Conversely, when those who have the gift think of a future where they're single and celibate, it's a lovely idea. They can picture themselves single, celibate, happy, and holy. So the question is, Can you receive this? Can you picture yourself single and happy and holy, though you'll be celibate? If so, you just might have the gift. And if not, you probably don't. Another way to know if you have the gift of singleness is if you don't have any urgency to get married and begin a sexual relationship with your spouse. Paul says this, if he... Referring to the one considering the single life, has decided firmly not to marry, and there is no urgency, he does well not to marry. So, the norm is for God to give us a sex drive that pushes us towards marriage, that if ignored would forever distract us and frustrate us. And this is what Paul calls urgency. Well, if you don't have that urgency, or if you have it, but you're not distracted by it, you aren't frustrated by it, and you can control it and manage it, well, then you just might have the gift of singleness. Question number five. How do I know if I don't have the gift of singleness? If God has not graced you with this gift then you're gonna have the normal and natural and God-given desire to get married and begin a sexual relationship with your spouse. And it's not going to be something that you can turn off or easily ignore. And Paul says to those who have this normal and natural God-given desire, he says, it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And don't view that burning with passion as something bad or negative. It almost sounds bad, doesn't it? God gave you that burning passion. And all the married people said, "Woo! okay, (laughs) sorry, I just had to make sure you were still with me. Okay. If you have the desire to be married and enjoy a sexual relationship, then it is unwise if you have the choice to remain single, because all that does, according to the apostle Paul is open us up unnecessarily to sexual temptation. There is no need to go through life being overly tempted with sexual sin when God has provided marriage as the righteous outlet for the fulfillment of sexual desire. So to those who think they're called to the single life, but they keep falling into sexual sin, Paul says this, if they cannot exercise self-control, then they should marry. So if you think you're called to the single life, but you keep looking up porn online, or you think you're called to the single life, but you keep hooking up outside of marriage, then on the authority of God's word, you don't have the gift. Okay? You clearly desire sexual intimacy, and that's a good thing because God is the one who put that desire within you. But God doesn't want you fulfilling that desire uh, in the context of sexual immorality. He wants you to fulfill that desire in the context of, of marriage. Okay, last question is this, question number six. Whether I'm single by gift or by choice, what does God want from me? Don't miss this one, friends. As I mentioned in my opening, there's a number of different reasons for why people are single. But whatever the reason for someone's singleness. Everyone has the same purpose in their singleness. And that purpose is service. Service. One more time. Service. Jesus is clear that singleness is a valid choice if you've chosen singleness as the means by which you can more fully give your life in sacrificial service. Take a look at what he says for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. So here we learn about the advantage of singleness. It frees us up to spend more time advancing the kingdom of heaven. Paul put it this way speaking of the advantage of being single, he says, An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. And a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted, and the idea is wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord. Some people say I'm called to singleness, but in their mind, the furthest thing from what they're thinking about is sacrificial service for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. A lot of people are single thinking they got the gift of singleness. They don't have the gift of singleness. They have they got something else. <laughs> In their mind what they're thinking is oh, if I stay single, I get to choose how to spend all my money. If I stay single, I get to choose how to use all my time. If I stay single, I never have to have an argument about where to go on vacation because I just get to choose. Isn't that wonderful? That's not biblical singleness, that's secular hedonism. That's not the gift of singleness. That's the affliction of selfishness. Right. And if that's you, you need to get married and have a couple kids, because nothing will teach you how to be unselfish more than marriage and children. Amen. <laughs> the purpled, the purpose of singleness is not to indulge self. It is to give oneself in sacrificial service for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus here is not at all painting a picture of single people just sitting around twiddling their thumbs Because you know, if you're single, you got nothing to do, so might as well give some of that time to the Lord. That that is not at all what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying single people just have so much extra time. No, no. Some of the single people I know are some of the busiest people I know. But what Jesus is saying, and what the Apostle Paul is arguing, is that no, no. But if you are single, then you have more free time than a married person, and you have more free time than a married person who has children. And the expectation, if you have the gift of singleness, is that you will use that time for the Lord. I mean, I think a strong argument can be made biblically that the gift of singleness comes with a call to just fully immerse your entire life and use it for the Lord. But with that said, it's not so dogmatic in its teaching that it might not allow for someone to, hey, you have a job out in the world. It's not like full-time ministry. You're not a missionary. Uh, You're not working at a church. Uh, But you too have dedicated your life to the Lord. And Paul and Jesus teach, hey, it's for the purpose of advancing the kingdom of heaven on the earth. It's not for you. It's for him. Just to be clear. So, bringing this all together, what does this text call us to do? And let's think in terms of those of us who are married, what does it call us to do? And then uh, let's think in terms of those who are single, what does it call you to do? We'll begin with the married people. For those of us who are married, Jesus' teaching calls us to not wrongly assume, like Jesus' original disciples did, that everyone is called to be married. That's just not a biblical concept. It is the norm, yes and amen. Amen. But it is not God's calling for every person. So don't act, practically speaking, as if it is. Allow the option that God might be calling this person to a special purpose. I mean, Jesus was single, was he not? And wasn't he able to use his singleness in an unbelievable way? I'm glad he wasn't distracted by anything else so that he could provide for my salvation and yours. Friends, was the Apostle Paul not single? And did he not do amazing things bringing the gospel around the world, giving us the book of Romans, as well as 12 other books of the 27 books of the New Testament? Thank God for his singleness. I thank God for people like Barbara Boyd, who influenced so many students who went on to do great things for God. I thank God for Corey Tenboom another person who used her singleness. Now, it's my understanding that she didn't choose that life. She fell in love with someone, and her love was unrequited. But she said, well, here I am. I'm single. I better use my life for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And ooh, what a life she lived. I've read her biography. What a woman of God. So married people, don't think that Everyone who's single has something wrong with them. There's no social uh, you know, stigma that should be attached to that. Sometimes this is God's plan uh, for single people. So we don't think automatically there must be something wrong with you. We don't uh, wrongly conclude, oh, you must have dilly-dallied and lost your chance. Oh, we, you know, wrongly, oh, you must be too picky or any of these other things. They might have chosen the single life for a godly reason, which we are called to respect and not judge just as they are called to respect and not judge our choice to be married and or have kids okay now for those who are single whether by gifting or by choice as we've just covered jesus's teaching calls you to use your singleness for the glory of god your singleness may be temporary your singleness may be permanent But however long singleness has been assigned to you, recognize the advantage that you have in being single and use your singleness for the Lord. I think a great place to start, if you haven't done this already, join a serving team. Sign up to lead a small group. These are simple ways that you can begin using your singleness for the Lord. And as you serve the Lord, listen to what's going to happen. God will either bring you into a relationship that will end your singleness. Or so long as you're faithful, God will begin increasing the opportunities for you to be fruitful on this earth for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Don't waste your singleness It's a gift. However long it lasts for you, whether temporarily or permanent, it's a gift. And Jesus wants you to use it for the glory of God. All right, let's pray. If you'd like to, you can pray along with me in your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for this teaching on singleness. My prayer today is that you will help me to be faithful to whatever assignment that you have for me. Whether that's singleness or marriage, whatever the assignment, I want to be faithful to what you've called me to. God, help me not to view whatever I'm called to as more spiritual than what someone else is called to and help me to never look down on someone that has a different calling than me. We're all called to the assignment that you have decided is the right one for us. So help us not to judge others. Help me to realize that each of us has been given a gift and that each of us is called to use it for your glory. So God, if I'm called to marriage, help me to find a spouse. And if I'm called to singleness, help me to find my ministry. And working together as married couples and singles in this church, may we point others to the salvation found only in your son. It's in his name I pray.
1: Amen. Amen.: Amen Thanks, Mike. We just learned about the gift of singleness. And for some of you here, you might have that gift, and for some of you, you might not have that gift. But before we go, whether you have the gift or not, I just want to let you know that there is one relationship that God wants everybody to have, and that's a relationship with Himself. God created us to have a relationship with us. But unfortunately, that relationship was severed because of what's called sin. Sin is rebellion against God, and we're all guilty of that sin. The Bible says that the penalty of sin is eternal death, eternal separation from God. But the Bible also says that God loves us. God doesn't want us to be separated from him. God wants us to have a relationship with him. So God, in his love for us, he made a way to restore that relationship with him. In that way, his name is Jesus. Jesus came down to earth to die on the cross after living a sinless life. And when he died on that cross, he took our sins to the cross with him. He made it possible so that we could go free. He paid the penalty for our sins. So when we ask Jesus to forgive us for our sins, he will. When we ask him to set us free, He will, and he'll give us eternal life in heaven, and he'll reconcile us to God. He'll restore our relationship with God. So if you want to decide to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, if you want to decide to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins so that you can be saved, so that you can have that relationship with God again that God created us for, I just want to encourage you by saying that's the best decision you could ever make. So if that is you, if you do want to make that decision today, I want to invite you to take out your welcome card and check off the box that says, I've decided to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. If you're in person, take that completed card out to guest services. We're gonna congratulate you. We're gonna pray with you. We've got a Bible that we wanna give you. That Bible's gonna help you grow in your new relationship with Jesus. And if you're online, we wanna get you that Bible as well. So just use the QR code that's coming up on screen. Your- Thanks for experiencing this message with us. Do you want more New Day Church in your life? Well, please like and subscribe on YouTube and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Wanna take a next step in your faith? Our Church Center app is the best place to get more connected. So just download the free app on your app store today and be sure to choose New Day Church in Enfield, Connecticut. We are able to offer this sermon and all others like it only because of your faithful financial support. Thank you to all of you who so faithfully give each week. If you feel led to support our ministry financially, just go to our website at newdaychurch.cc forward slash give. Thank you in advance, may God richly bless you, and we hope to see you again real soon.